What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Amen. Uh, please uh, turn in your copy of Scripture to Joel chapter 2. If you're reading the closing uh, verses of this chapter, you can find this on page 762 if you're using the Pew Bibles. Uh, when you have found that, would you please stand for the reading and hearing of God's holy word? Hear now the word of our God through his prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. May God add his blessing on this, the reading of his holy and inspired and infallible word. Please be seated. Um, I hope you keep your copy of scripture open. I want to show you uh, something very briefly that it will be uh, uh, advantageous to you if your text is open. There is a repeated phrase uh, that highlights for us what are the two main uh, points of this sermon. Verse 28 opens this way, and it shall come to pass introducing what is uh, where the Lord pours out my spirit on all flesh, as he says. And then verse 32, and it shall come to pass. And then this great declaration that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These, as I said, are the two main points of this sermon. What is God's giving of his spirit and the open promise of salvation. The giving of his Holy Spirit and the promise of of salvation. Now, as we come to consider these two points, I want us to be sensitive as well uh, to Joel's historical perspective. Uh, parents, you have uh, some sense of what a historical perspective is like when your children ask you if they can watch a movie and you say, tonight. And then the one child who hears this goes and declares to all the children, we get to watch a movie, and then suddenly everyone's on the couch. <laughs> but it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. The history matters. I said, tonight. (laughs) 
Something similar is happening here. Joel is highlighting a particular stage in history. And he shows us that very clearly in that giving what is the beginning and the end boundary points of this stage in human history. Look again at verse 28 where he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then later in verse 30 and 31 as he talks about this second great act that the Lord will do in showing wonders in the heavens and on the earth, it then says, the end of verse 31, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There is something afterward and another great act before something else. Here is a stage in human history that Joel is highlighting that is marked by the pouring out of the Spirit And its end point in the coming of the day of the Lord is announced by what are these great creation-wide public acts that are seen. A stage in human history and part of Joel's purpose in defining this stage of human history is to insist that if ever there was a time, this is that time to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, What marks the beginning of this period of history is the Lord's pouring out of His Spirit. Acts 2 that Pastor Matt read for us earlier makes it clear that we are in the midst of this stage of history that Joel is speaking of. The Spirit has been poured out. So what we will do as we go through this text in Joel is that we will consider the words that Joel has given to us, the Lord Himself given through His servant Joel, and then we will be turning to Acts 2 and other places in the New Testament to understand what does it mean for us to be in the midst of the things that Joel has spoken about. So where does this stage of human history have its beginning? In the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we want to build just a little bit of context. Look again at verse 28. The context for this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Joel says this, and it shall come to pass afterward. There's context that he's alluding to in what has come before. Uh, We know uh, through the book of Joel that he has been urging repentance. And then there's this turn partway through Joel uh, chapter 2 as he is urging repentance. And suddenly you see what is the blessing that pours forth from the Lord. And Pastor Matt, you remember, mentioned that it's not explicitly stated, the people's repentance. Why? Because Joel is focusing on the works of God, not the works of the people. Here's the works of God and what he has done, but here is this pouring out of blessing that comes, and there's a hint in these verses that the blessing that Joel is considering, that the Lord himself is declaring, is something that is greater than even the people of his day had finally known in its outward fullness. There's some hints to that. Look at this in chapter 2, verse 26 and 27. Notice how both of these verses end. Verse 26 and my people shall never again be put to shame. There's a finality to what comes. Verse 27, the end of that verse, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Here's blessing that pours out from the Lord. What is gracious blessing that comes from our God in objective, tangible form that shall never be taken away. That's the context that Joel gives to us. Uh, That is the prelude to what is the pouring out of the Spirit and the stage in human history. When gracious blessings from God take tangible form such that they will never be taken away, the way is prepared for the pouring out 
of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. It may be helpful for you to have a finger or a piece of paper in Joel chapter 2 and Acts 2, as we'll be turning back and forth between these texts today. Acts chapter 2, after Joel has quoted, uh, sorry, uh, after Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God has been poured out in tongues of fire and the people, uh, the apostles begin to speak in tongues and everyone hears uh, them speaking and hearing of the mighty deeds of God, uh, Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2, our sermon text, in seven, verses 17 through 21, and he provides a historical backdrop to what has just taken place. And the historical backdrop that Peter focuses on is that which centers on Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 22. As he says that Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. What else do we see? That in verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Verse, uh, Verse 32, Jesus, God raised up. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. See, part of what he's saying is that the historical backdrop for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is what has just taken place in Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. Uh, This is a crucial understanding of the New Testament of what it means to be Christians, that the substance of covenant blessings flows from what Christ secures by his death and bestows in his resurrection. That is the place of our hope and the source of blessings that come. His accomplished work is the historical context for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my question to you. Have you found anything of those blessings in Jesus Christ? The forgiveness of sins? What is the work of the Holy Spirit to change you more and more into the likeness of Christ? Do you know what is the access that you have unto your heavenly Father through the work of Jesus Christ? If so, here's what this means. The blessing of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is yours. You have what is opened up here in Acts chapter 2. So let's turn to there now. Joel chapter 2 as we consider what is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Joel 2, a couple of things I want you to notice, again, this is the first, what I'll call the major point of this sermon. As God gives his Holy Spirit, I will pour out my spirit. Notice first, the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit. How generously and richly the Lord pours out his spirit. And you have it already simply in the word pour. (laughs) I will pour out my spirit. Pouring is different Uh, from dripping, isn't it? Uh, It's different from when you have a glass that is filled with water and you shake it. You may be concerned as a parent that something's gotten on the floor, uh, but you know it's limited. Now, imagine this being in the kitchen and, and, and one of your children is taking a glass of water. This hasn't happened in my memory, by the way, but probably something like it. Is holding a glass of milk in the kitchen, and pouring. (laughs) When it's pouring, what happens? Um, Your first move is not to clean up what's on the floor, right? Because your first concern is that it's still coming. There is a free flow from the source, 
and it's being poured out upon the floor. And what you're wondering is not how much has fallen, but how much is still coming. As long as it is pouring, the extent to which it is coming is the full measure of, what is, of, of whatever is in that glass. It, glass. it is pouring out. He pours out His Spirit. How much does the Lord have to give? And yet He pours out His Spirit. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 says this, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? How much of the Spirit is there? And yet Joel says, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit. Notice the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit. We can't focus on this now, but notice also the indiscriminate, display, the, uh, the, the indiscriminate supply. It comes unto all, your sons, your daughters, old men, young, uh, your male and female servants. The point is male, female, old, young, high social standing, low, low social standing. It is the common possession of all of the people of God. But what I want to focus on here is what manifests the presence of the Holy Spirit. What does Joel say will happen when the Spirit is poured out? He says that they will prophesy, dream dreams, and see visions. Um, he's not dividing various different kinds of activities amongst different categories of person, but he's describing the, 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 that which is common unto all that the Spirit is given. They're not separate categories, but they apply to the whole. Notice how these things progress, though. From prophesying to dreaming dreams and seeing visions. Prophesying, uh, this is something that a third party could bear witness to and see. When someone is prophesying, declaring the things that God has said, uh, if not foretelling, at least forthtelling. Uh, speaking the word of the Lord that has been made known. But then when he says dream dreams, he takes one step back uh, moving from what is the public work of a prophet now to something that is, that is uh, uh, privately and perhaps only uniquely uh, shown to the prophet. As he dreams dreams, the young men dream dreams, and uh, then, uh, sorry, old men dreaming dreams. Now, to my knowledge, people don't dream dreams together. This is what is known to the prophet behind the prophesying activity. And then he takes one step further, moving from dreaming dreams to seeing visions, moving from what, is, uh, from what is less to more vivid and realistic. And the Lord making Himself known to His prophets. Turn, if you would, to uh, Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 and 8, another place in Scripture where we have these kinds of uh, things are, are described. The context here is that the Lord is going to distinguish the way in which He makes Himself known between uh, how it is that He makes Himself known to Moses versus the prophets. But listen to this. Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And He said, this is the Lord, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make Myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my, spirit, with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form 
of the Lord. In this text, there's a distinction between how it is that the Lord makes himself known to Moses on one hand and to the prophets on the other. But what I want you to notice, at least for our purposes in Joel right now, um, is how uh, is what distinguishes the prophets from others who are not prophets. It's the manner in which the Lord makes himself known. God speaks to his prophets. He makes themselves known. Um, now, when we read uh, a text like this in Joel, and we think and we have in our mind uh, what takes place on the day of Pentecost, um, already we're thinking about what? The spiritual gifts, right? The various miraculous things that took place in their day and wonder what spiritual gifts continue, which ones cease. But what I want you to recognize is that sort of thing is probably the last thing on the mind of those who heard the word of Joel. See, here's what they're thinking. Joel says, you shall dream dreams and see visions. And now the people are wondering, you mean we will see what the prophets saw? What was made known to them will be made known to us. The Lord is going to take what is his self-disclosure towards his prophets and extend it unto the whole of his people. Let me remind you what the prophets saw. Isaiah chapter 6. Prophet of the Lord says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he sees the seraphim calling one to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What Joel is describing here is that there will be a time when the self-disclosure of God that had been the privileged possession of his prophets will be extended unto the whole of God's people. And they will know the Lord. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. This time when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And I want you to notice, first of all, what the Spirit makes known. Uh, we're often focused on what is the miraculous working here. It is, a, is very clearly a miraculous working that everyone needs to notice. Something new has just taken place in the manner in which the Holy Spirit has been poured out. It is not a natural thing that they are hearing all of these things that are spoken in their own tongues. But notice also the content of what they speak. Acts chapter 2 verse 11. All the people say this, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is what Peter then opens up in his preaching. What are the mighty works of God that he has worked in Christ Jesus and through him? This is what the Holy Spirit is making known, making the common possession unto all of his people. Notice also who the Spirit makes known. We've already described him, Jesus of Nazareth, who he makes known. But I want you to notice something else in this text. It's surprising. Look at verse 19 of Acts chapter 2, where Peter is still quoting from the prophet Joel. And he says this, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Wonders and signs. 
Listen and notice where that language comes up again in Peter's preaching. Verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Uh, Those cosmic wonders and signs that Joel says announce the coming of the day of the Lord in his glory. Here there are wonders and signs that Peter recognizes announce the fact that Christ is about to enter into the glory of that day. It is announcing his exaltation to the right hand of the Father as he himself is the Lord of that day and so takes that glory to himself. Uh, Christ himself has entered into that exalted place as our Redeemer. Turn then to 2 Corinthians 3. And I want you to see what is the benefit of the Holy Spirit in what he gives, making known our God in his glory. In this passage, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is contrasting uh, what is the old administration of the covenant of grace, that which came through Moses on one hand, and what comes by the Spirit. He's talking about the ministry of the Spirit, and at one point he describes how it is that Moses would enter into the tent of meeting, and he would meet with God, and then he would go out and he would declare to the people the word of the Lord, and his face would shine, but then he would cover his face. Uh, There was a, a limitation to what it is that the people could behold, a a temporariness to what was there, and also a limitation to the access that they had. But listen to what the Spirit does. The Spirit poured out. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is not using vivid language to anticipate what will be yours. He's describing what is yours. Later in chapter 4 and verse 6, he says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit has done. He has opened up for you what are the glories of heaven in Jesus Christ. As you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, do not underestimate what's been given to you. We don't see Some of the things that have been seen throughout the history of God's covenant with his people. But do not underestimate what the Holy Spirit is and gives. To you has been given access and understanding and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The very things that the prophets had that had not extended to the people has extended to you. In fact, it has surpassed what the prophets have, what the prophets had. Notice the way in which Paul describes this as of the likeness of what Moses had, not merely the prophets like Joel. You have more than Joel had in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, if I could say it that way. Opened up for you what is 
in the heavenly places. And not only periodically, but what is the abiding reality of what is given to you inasmuch as the light of the gospel has shone in your hearts. This is yours. Do not underestimate what is yours. And what do we do in the presence of his glory? What is there to do but to call on the name of the Lord? It's the second main point of this sermon. Turn again to Joel chapter 2. As we approach verse 32, where he gives what is this open promise of salvation to those who call on the name of the Lord, he comes to this point after addressing what is the second of two major acts of God. The first, of course, is pouring out, the pouring out of the Spirit, that which marks the beginning of this stage in history. And then there's a second major act of God as he shows wonders in the heavens, announcing the end in the coming of the day of the Lord. And right after that, then he brings up this idea that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, now, as we think about what it means to anticipate and have announced to us what is the coming of the day of the Lord, oftentimes in the prophets, and Joel is no different here, oftentimes the day of the Lord is a fearsome and terrifying reality. We've seen that in this book. We've seen that in other places uh, where we've turned as we've been preaching through the prophet Joel. And there's some hint of that in, verses in verse 32 as he speaks about those who shall be saved, those who escape. And talking about the survivors, there is something to be saved from. There is something to escape. There is something that must be survived. And that comes with the day of the Lord. But notice in this verse, in these verses, it is not explicitly stated the judgment of the Lord. Surely it comes with the day of the Lord. But it's not his focus here. It's not his focus in what it brings. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about what it means to call on the name of the Lord. It is not calling upon him in terror or in fear. It is calling on the name of the Lord in loving worship unto our God. Let me show you this. Uh, it's contrasted with Revelation 6. We won't turn there now, but you can see what is a crying out in terror at the coming of the day of the Lord. Revelation 6, verses 12 and following. But Zephaniah 3, verse 9, speaks again of this calling on the name of the Lord as a prophet who is very much focused on the day of the Lord. And he says this, Zephaniah 3, verse 9, At that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Calling on the name of the Lord is put in parallel to what? Serving him. This is a loving and worshipful service unto the Lord. And this is not a new reality that begins with the coming of the day of the Lord. You know where the first place is that we see this phrase? All the way back in Genesis 4. Genesis 4. When we hear these words, verse 26. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is what the people of God do. We call upon our God. Joel unfolds what is entailed with this calling upon the name of the Lord when he shows to us uh, uh, what else comes to pass or what, uh, how it is that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Second half of verse 32, he says this, For in Mount Zion 
and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. He is drawing our attention to what is a particular place. Now remember at this time when Joel is preaching here, not all of the people lived in Jerusalem. In fact, we know, especially after the fact, that none of these people were alive when the stage of human history that Joel is talking about actually takes place. So what benefit is Joel speaking of these these places, Mount Zion and Jerusalem, what benefit is it to those who heard Joel speak? It's this benefit. Mount Zion and Jerusalem. What is Mount Zion and Jerusalem to the people of God, to those who call on the name of the Lord? It is the center of their worship and the focus of all of their expectation. This is the center of the blessing of God's covenant as God dwells with his people. And it is the place where their hopes are centered as the Lord says his people will dwell with him. In fact, even he will put his servant, the son of David, on his throne that they might dwell with the Lord into eternity. This is the center of worship and the focal point of God's promises. Those who call on the name of the Lord are those who who seek and long for what is the presence of God and hope in the promises of God. They lay hold of God in his promises. Joel is saying what you seek and what you desire, even though it come in a stage of human history when you will no longer be upon this earth, yet you will have what you desire. All who call upon the name of the Lord from Genesis 4 and beyond shall escape in the very place where their longing and their hope is found. Uh, Last point before we go again to Acts chapter 2. Whose work is your calling? Whose work is seen and displayed in what is your calling on the name of the Lord? Because our calling unto Him is not effective in itself unto our salvation. There's no intrinsic power in it. In fact, our calling to the Lord does not get his attention. Joel is clear as to where this comes from. After he says that in Zion and Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, he then says this, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. It is the Lord's calling. Uh, in terms of your personal participation in communion with God and, in share, and enjoying a share in any of his blessings, it is always drawn back to what is the Lord's calling. It is the fruit of his work. In fact, he calls you for this. The Lord calls you unto you calling upon him. That is what the Lord is seeking, a people to worship his name. Acts chapter 2, let's turn there. Acts chapter 2. We'll be brief on this point. Acts chapter 2, much of what Peter unfolds, a portion that actually Pastor Matt, uh, I had Pastor Matt skip over in his reading of this text, but much of what he focuses on after talking about Christ crucified and killed and then moving to what is his being uh, raised and exalted at the right hand of the Father and receiving the Holy Spirit in those verses in between, verses 24 uh, through 31, much of what Peter focuses on is how it is that Christ is the one whom David himself was prophesying about. And he says this in verse 30 of Acts chapter 2, being therefore, speaking of David, being therefore a prophet, 
and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. This is what David was speaking about. Not speaking accidentally, but seeing and speaking and knowing of the resurrection of the Christ so that Christ, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, has assumed the throne of David, a much greater throne in the heavenly places. So then Peter ends his sermon before the people respond with saying this in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is saying this, your longing for the presence of the Lord and your hope in the promises of God all converge and have their focal point upon Christ, upon him. He has made him both Lord and Christ. The promise is fulfilled as he is the Christ, the glory of the Lord displayed as he is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And look how Peter summarizes the whole point of what this means for the people who were there and what it means for those who are alive and live in this stage of human history, verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God, our God calls to himself. He calls to himself. He is calling a people unto himself that we might call on the name of the Lord. What are we to do as those who live in this unique stage of human history? We are to call on the name of the Lord. If ever there was a time, this is it, to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, Be unrestrained in what is your longing for the blessings and the delight and goodness of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. Make full use of the access that Christ has given as we are brought into the presence of the Lord. Uh, be bold in what, is you claim, in what, is, uh, uh, what should be you claiming and enjoying all of the promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of your sins. The promise that you are no longer bound to your sin, but he is working in you unto you being set apart in holiness, zealous for good works unto your God. He has given you access to the throne of grace. We are to be unrestrained in having a longing and a hope that is fixed upon Christ where he is. In fact, I will be so bold as to say, this is your primary calling. A calling unto himself, as God has called you to himself, that you might call unto him. And by his grace, he continues to call many. Don't miss the phrasing of Joel and the way in which it's spoken in the book of Acts, even in Romans 10, when Paul quotes from this same passage, when he says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the time where we appeal with the blessings that Christ has procured, the goodness of what it is to belong to our God and the abundant forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus as the very glory of God shines forth in the face of Jesus Christ unto the steadfast love and mercy of God pouring out on his people. This is ours. It is our delight. If ever there was a time, 
This is that time to call on the name of the Lord. People of God, let's do this now. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.